If you have a Bible, let's go ahead and turn to the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 1 is where our text will come from this morning. Mark chapter 1. When I was thinking about how to open this sermon, I wanted to start with a quote, uh, but the quote I wanted to use was just too general, too generic. I couldn't find it. And then I had this epiphany. Uh, I would just say it myself. So here you go. You, you can trust this. Comes from a comes from a good guy. Everybody wants good news. Everybody wants good news. Think with me. If if you have a friend that comes to you and asks, you know, I got good news and I got bad news. Which one do you want? Who has ever answered? Just give me the bad news. I'm not even worried about all that good news stuff. Just give me the the bad. Nobody says that. Everybody wants good news. When you think about your family, your spouse, or your kids, what kind of news are you hoping to hear? Good news. When you think about your job, when you come to work, what do you want to hear from your boss or your employees? Good news. If you've had a job interview and you're hoping to hear back something from that interview, what do you want to hear? Good news. If you're thinking about the end of this year, 2024, and the election that's coming up. However that lands, you are hoping to hear some kind of good news. If you're looking for good news this morning, you're in luck, because Mark is going to give us just that. In the Gospel of Mark, he begins with talking about the good news. Now, this isn't going to be a typical sermon where we have kind of three basic points and some practical applications at the end. Um, what we're going to do is we're just going to introduce Mark's Gospel looking at the first chapter about how he talks about good news, and we're going to zoom in on the last story of chapter 1, a story about a man who was touched by good news. And we're just going to try to take away one thing from that. It, when you look at the beginning of Mark's gospel, it only takes him five words to start talking about good news. It begins in verse 1, the beginning of the gospel, the beginning of the good news. It's kind of interesting when you look at all of the different Gospels, all four of them, they all start a little different. You would think that four inspired men talking about the same person, Jesus, would seemingly start the same way, but, but they don't. When you look at Matthew's Gospel, he starts out with a genealogy. Seems kind of weird. We're usually used to the list of names coming at the end of a movie, not the beginning, but he starts out with a genealogy. And then you look at Luke, he begins his Gospel by talking about kind of himself and how he's going to write, how he's going to write an orderly account. When we look at John, he starts his gospel by talking about the Word. Seems kind of odd. And he talks about how it's God and how it became flesh. I think what helps us with understanding this is knowing the audience that the gospel writers wrote to. When you think about Matthew, who's writing to Jews, and they were kind of into genealogies. Uh, Luke was writing to an individual, and so it was more personal. John was writing to seemingly a general audience, so he kind of paints with broad strokes. But Mark is writing to the Roman mind. To the Romans. And there's some indication of that in the very first verse. It says, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Mark is writing about the good news of Jesus. But in Mark's time, when people heard the word gospel, they wouldn't have thought of Jesus first. When people heard the word gospel, they would have thought of the Caesar. It was a political term that referenced to the Caesar that was over Rome. We learned about this when we found this thing called the Priene Inscription. It was found in modern-day Turkey. Uh, it's dated to about 9 BC, so before Jesus came along. And it talks about Augustus Caesar. 
And it talks about some interesting things about Augustus, about his birth date, and how this was going to start a new calendar, and how this is the gospel of Augustus, and how it uses this idea of providence being personified, how we were granted with Augustus, providence gave us Augustus. I'm going to read a little excerpt from it and see if this sounds familiar. Since providence, which has ordered all things and is deeply interested in our life, has set in most perfect order by giving us Augustus, whom she filled with virtue that he might benefit humankind, sending him as a savior, both for us and for our descendants, that he might end war and arrange all things. And since he, Caesar, by his appearance, surpassing all previous benefactors and not even leaving to posterity any hope of surpassing what he has done, and since the birthday of the God, Augustus, was the beginning of the good tidings, good news, for the world that came by reason of him. The good news of Augustus, a God, a Savior, Someone that's, that's never been like him who is going to bring in to war for all people. Even the coin that had Augustus' face on it said Augustus, divine son. They called him the son of God. Do you see what Mark's doing? Mark's gospel is a polemic against the Caesar. <laughs> He's saying the good news isn't what you think it is. The good news isn't about Caesar. The good news is about Jesus, the Christ. He's the real Savior. He's the one that's going to end war. He's the one that no one else has been like. It's the gospel of Jesus. And throughout the rest of chapter 1 and throughout the rest of his gospel, he's going to show us a little bit more about this Jesus, how he's a king. But he's also going to show us what kind of king he is. He's going to focus on his power, power over not just flesh like the Caesar, power over demons. He's going to show his authority. He's going to show also his compassion that we'll see this morning. In the very first chapter of Mark's Gospel, we have this amazing story that we're going to focus on. It's about a man being touched by this good news that comes from Jesus. Let's read beginning in verse 40. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Move with pity. He stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it. And to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places. And the people were coming to him from every quarter. When we come to the story, Mark has already shown us some impressive things about Jesus in chapter 1. We've learned some things about Jesus. Mark has already taught us about the authority of Jesus. John the Baptist comes on the scene proclaiming and setting the path for the Lord. Who's the Lord? Jesus. What does Lord mean? God. John is showing us that Jesus is God. But also after that, we see Jesus' baptism. And then it, the baptism, it's not just a man saying that Jesus is God. It's the Father Himself ripping the heavens open and proclaiming 
that Jesus is God, and he calls him his beloved son. That's a title attributed to the anointed of Israel. He's calling him God and king. Jesus has authority, but Mark doesn't just tell us about it. He shows us that as well, because there's a story in chapter one about Jesus going into a synagogue, and he's teaching the people, and they're astonished. Why are they astonished? Because he's teaching with authority. Jesus has authority. Mark also shows us his power. In that same scene in the synagogue, there's a man possessed by a demon, and he speaks out to Jesus, and he actually calls him the Holy One. Here's another person attesting to Jesus as God. It's not just God and John the Baptist, it's even the demons. But he doesn't allow him to keep on speaking. He casts the demon out with just his words. He has power over demons. And in the very next story, he goes into Peter's house, and he heals his mother of a fever. Jesus has power over demons, and he has power over disease. Jesus has authority, and he has power. And we also learn about Jesus' mission. Because all these people are coming to Jesus to be healed once they see that he can heal disease. But when that starts happening, Jesus actually secludes himself. He steps away from it for a little while, and he gets away from it all. And Peter and the rest of the disciples are kind of upset by this. They're thinking, wait a second, Jesus, this is our big shot. Everybody's coming to you. Why don't you go out and heal all the people you can? Let's get this thing rolling. But Jesus answers in Mark 1, verse 38. Mark 1, verse 38. He said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. Jesus continued to heal, but that's not why he came. Jesus came to preach. That was his mission. And so Mark has presented Jesus as having power and authority, and he's told us about his mission. But the end of chapter 1 ends with a story telling us about his compassion. A story about a leper that was touched by the good news. And so what did we learn about the leper? Well, at the very beginning of verse 40, it begins with, and a leper came to him. Now, when we hear leper, we probably have a picture that pops up in our mind, something about what leprosy is. Uh, we still actually have leprosy today. It's not very common. Uh, but when we talk about leprosy today, that's a specific reference to one particular disease. It's called Hansen's disease. Uh, it's a terrible disease. But when you read leprosy in your Bible, it doesn't just reference one disease. Leprosy is a general term for several different kinds of skin diseases. Actually, Moses wrote two whole chapters in Leviticus, in Leviticus 13 and 14, about what classified as leprosy and how to treat leprosy. Leprosy just means a disease of the skin, and it can range from anything from just a rash all the way up to what we would know as leprosy today, Hansen's disease. We have one story about someone that had leprosy, Miriam. It says in verse 12 of Numbers chapter 12, let her not be as one dead whose flesh is half eaten away when he comes out of his mother's womb. So leprosy could be just a simple rash. It could be just, just very subtle, but it could also be something terrible like what Miriam had. And sometimes the leprosy would just go away. If it was a rash, it would go away in a, in a week and you, you would be fine and that would be no big deal. But some leprosy was persistent leprosy, was continual leprosy. Some people were lepers and they didn't get better. There was no way to cure systemic leprosy. God gave them priests, not doctors. And so how they dealt with the leprosy is they separated from lepers. It was barrier medicine. 
The lepers couldn't congregate with the rest of the people. And that's what we find in Mark 1. This is a persistent, continual leper. He is a leper. And leprosy was a terrible physical condition. We can read descriptions like this in Scripture of just how bad it was, but the physical condition wasn't the worst part of being a leper. The worst part was the isolation. Because being a leper meant that you were unclean. Leviticus 13 tells us about how if you were a continual leper, you continued to be unclean. You had to be separate from the people at all time. And there were certain requirements for lepers. You couldn't wear normal clothes. You had to wear torn clothes so people could identify you as being a leper. And you had to cover your face. And when you approached a group of people, you had to yell, unclean, unclean. Can you imagine? Every time you saw someone, you reminded yourself and everyone else around you that you were a leper. Leviticus 13, beginning of verse 45, tells us about these requirements. The leprous person who has disease shall wear torn clothes and let his hair of his head hang loose. And he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. Lepers were alone. We have another story about King Uzziah that had leprosy. We get the same idea. 2 Chronicles 26, verse 21. The King Uzziah was a leper to the day of his death, and being a leper lived in a separate house, for he was excluded from the house of the Lord. And Jotham, his son, was over the king's household, governing the people of the land. Lepers were alone. And at the time when the temple was built, it meant that they weren't even allowed into God's house. They were separate from their people. And possibly in their mind, they were separate from God. In fact, this is how the people would have looked on lepers. That they deserved what they had. That they had leprosy because they sinned. That God gave them the leprosy. And the only person that could take away leprosy was God. The worst kind of defilement in Israel was touching a dead body. The second worst was leprosy. But essentially at this time, it became the same thing. Josephus writes for us that lepers were like dead people. And of course, the rabbis of the time did what they always do, and they set up all kinds of laws to make sure that we never got close to a leper at all. So if you were a leper, you had to maintain several feet of distance. If it was windy outside, if you were downwind from a leper, you had to stay 150 feet away. A leper was not even allowed to go into a walled city. They couldn't enter into a city. The rabbis would teach you they even poked their head into your house. The entire house would become unclean. One rabbi taught that you shouldn't even greet a leper. Don't even talk to them. They're not even like real people. And so we can see why the leper was so desperate. In verse 40, he comes to Jesus on his knees, imploring him. He's desperate. He's hoping against hope to be reunited with his people. Maybe he had a family. Maybe he wanted to see his wife and his kids again. Maybe he had friends that he used to have before he was a leper. And maybe he thought, just maybe, I could be reunited with my God. And so he had hope against hope. And he approaches Jesus. Something that a leper was not supposed to do. A leper approaching someone? A leper approaching Jesus? 
a rabbi? It's unthinkable. No, no, no one would do this. I'm, I'm sure Peter and the rest of the disciples are in the background thinking, oh no, Jesus, get away from that guy. You can't touch a leper. But he comes to his feet. We aren't told if this leper knew that Jesus had healed other lepers. We know he healed various diseases. But Mark seems to insinuate that the leper doesn't know if Jesus has touched a leper. But he knows he has power. And we, we see this in the question that he asked. At the end of verse 40, it says, If you will, you can make me clean. Now, some of you are getting a little nervous because you're thinking Jansen doesn't know the difference between a question and a statement. Uh, th- this is a statement. <laughs> if you will, you can make me clean. But really, it's a question. He knew the power of Jesus. He knew Jesus could heal. He knew Jesus was this man everyone was going to. He knew Jesus might be the king of Israel that everyone has been waiting on. But he didn't know what kind of king Jesus was. Was Jesus a king who was willing to touch lepers? And so he fell at his feet and he asked the question. And then we find Jesus' response. The first thing we see in verse 41 is that Jesus had pity. Let's read again. Verse 41, moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean and Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once. And he said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priests and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. Jesus was moved with pity. He wasn't like the rabbis of his day. He didn't make some excuse of, you know, I wish I could help you out, but I just can't. There's all these barriers in the way that I can't get over. I wish I could, but just get away from me for now. No, Jesus didn't do that. Jesus was moved with pity. He didn't focus on the disease. He focused on the man. Because of that, Jesus touched him. The text says, he stretched out his hand and touched him. It was a long reach. It was a reach past social and physical and spiritual barriers that seemingly separated these two men. But Jesus reached out and he touched him. There's no telling how long it had been since this man had felt someone touch him. Likely he forgot what it felt like. But Jesus reminded him. He touched him. And then we find that he cleansed him. And scripture, it always speaks of healing lepers, not by saying they were healed, but by they were cleansed. Lepers were unclean. And when you heal a leper, it's not just about the healing, it's about them being cleansed. But did you notice how Jesus cleansed him? It wasn't by the touch. It was by his words. Verse 41 says, Move with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I will be clean. And then verse 42, And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. Jesus could heal however he wanted to heal. Jesus had power over demons with just his words. Jesus touched Peter's mother with his hand to heal her, but Jesus could do it however he wanted to. He didn't have to touch the leper, but he did. That's so significant because it shows the compassion that Jesus had for this man that he touched him before he healed him. And he cleansed him. The leper was clean. He could put everything behind him. 
all the ideas of I can't be with my family, my friends, my people, my God. He was clean. But notice the last thing that Jesus tells the leper. The text says that Jesus sternly charged the man. He told him not to tell anyone, to go straight to the priest and give the offering as a proof. The instruction Jesus is giving is coming straight from Leviticus 14, where there's all these instructions about how to pronounce a leper clean. Jesus didn't want the leper only to be clean, but to be pronounced clean by the priest. And there's, there's all kinds of speculation why Jesus gave these certain kind of commands, um, why he told him to go to the priest as a proof. Maybe the priest would have known the leper, and the priest then would have known it was a miracle and he couldn't deny it. Maybe that's going on. We're not sure why he tells him not to tell anyone. Maybe the idea is never tell anyone ever, or maybe the idea is wait to tell someone till you've told the priest. We don't know for sure. It seems to be the idea that Jesus is trying to conceal his identity until the proper time. But the things we do know is that Jesus was still telling the man to adhere to the law of his time. And that Jesus told him not to tell anyone. Can you imagine how hard that would be? You've just been cleansed. You've just been given essentially new life. And Jesus tells you not to say anything. How did the leper respond? It was too much. It was too much for him to handle. He told the news. In Mark 1, verse 45, it says, But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. This man was touched by good news, and he couldn't help but tell it. Can, can you really blame him? Can you see where he's coming from? of how he just couldn't resist the urge to tell the good news. Can you imagine what this scene would have looked like after the leper was healed? I can just imagine him, after being cleansed and knowing he was cleansed, kissing Jesus' feet, and then running down the first road to find anybody that he could tell, even though he was told not to. I just have to tell this news. Maybe you knew the leper. Maybe you were a friend of the leper, and you're on the road, and you see him coming from a distance. But you're confused because... You see the torn clothes and you recognize him. You know it's him, but he's not walking with his head hung low. He's running and he's shouting, but you're confused because he's shouting, unclean, unclean. But, but then he gets closer. And you realize he's not shouting, unclean, unclean. He's shouting, I am clean. I am clean. Can you imagine what he told people? I met someone. I met the man that everyone's trying to get to. I met the man that might be the king. I approached the king. Do you have a sickness? Do you have an illness that, that medicine can't help? I have good news. Do you have a demon that all the priests haven't been able to cast out? I have good news. Are you a leper like I was? Have you lost all hope? I have good news, even for you. I met the king, and he touched me. Now, without a doubt, the man disobeyed the command of Jesus. Jesus told him not to tell, and he told. But I want to suggest to you that's not the emphasis of the story. The actual emphasis in the story is on Jesus, not the man, and the effect that happened because of what the man told. 
The text says that Jesus now could no longer enter a town and he was in desolate places. You see what Mark is doing? Jesus has traded places with the leper. It was the leper that couldn't enter a town. It was the leper that had to be in desolate places. But now it's Jesus that can't enter a town. It's Jesus that has to be in desolate places. It's foreshadowing of the work and the mission of Jesus, how he came to heal people, and because of it, it was going to cost him something. Jesus knew the risks of healing a leper. If the word got out about him cleansing a leper, he knew what would happen, that he would be flooded by people, and it wasn't time yet. And so because his mission was to preach, he wasn't looking for fame, not autographs. Because his mission was to preach, when the news started flooding, he had to restrict himself. He had to leave the comfort of a town. He had to go out into desolate places. Jesus was willing to heal a leper that no one else cared about. He was willing to become like the leper. I hope you see that this story is our story. We might ask why Jesus was willing to touch a leper, but there's a better question. Why was Jesus willing to touch anyone? Why was Jesus willing to come to this world full of unclean people? Why was he willing to go to the cross? I think what Mark wants us to see, he's showing us that Jesus wanted to touch people with the good news, even though he knew what it would cost him, because he knew what it meant for us. His suffering would mean our salvation. Now, there's many ways that we could apply this lesson. Uh, We could talk about how when we come to Jesus, when we approach Jesus, we have to do it in the right way. We have to come in repentance, falling on our knees. We could talk about that. We could talk about how Jesus is both compassionate, but he also commands. How Jesus shows love, but he also has authority. We could talk about that tension and that dynamic. We, We could talk about how the leper didn't need a class on evangelism. How when he was touched by Jesus, when he was cleansed, even the restriction couldn't hold him back. That he just went and told the good news. But I want to leave you thinking about just one thing this morning. I think this will apply to those of us that are Christians and those that haven't come to Christ yet. The one thing has to do with Jesus and a list. There's a lot of people here this morning, and I'm guessing that there's probably someone here that either now or at some point is going to feel like the unclean leper. You're going to feel like because of what you've done, because of the life that you've lived, you're like the leper before he was cleansed. That you're unclean. And because of that, you want to keep your distance from people. You don't want people to know all about your life, all about the things that you've done in the past. You don't want them to know where you've been because you're afraid of what they might think. That they might want to separate from you. That they might want to shout to get out of the way. That they don't even want to get close. That they would look at you differently. That they would look at you like a leper. Because of where you've been. And what you've done, so you're afraid to tell others. Maybe someone's tried to convince you that that's not your story. That that's not you. Maybe family, friends, elders, preachers, 
They tried to tell you that's not your story, but you refused to believe it. You say, you just don't understand. You just don't understand. You don't get it, Jansen. You don't know where I've been. I'm not like them. I'm not like him. And I'm not like her. I'm not like you. You just don't get it. You don't know what I've done when I'm alone. You don't know what I've done in the dark. You don't know what I've done behind people's backs. You don't know what I've done. You just don't get it. No, you don't get it. You don't get who our king is. You might say, Jansen, you can preach all you want about forgiveness from this pulpit. But you just don't get it. And if you're thinking that, you don't understand who Jesus Christ is. But Jansen, I've lied. I've lied. To my family, to my friends, to this church, I've lied. Day after day, week after week, month after month, I've done it for years. I've lied to everyone. What news do you have for me? I have good news. Jansen, I've been unfaithful. I've been unfaithful to my spouse. I made a commitment for life, and I broke it. I've been unfaithful to my God. What news do you have for me? I have good news. Jansen, I've done something that I just can't take back. You don't understand. I, I pushed away my own kids. I wasn't the parent I was supposed to be. And I drove my children away. I drove away my own family. What news do you have for me? I have good news. Jansen, you don't understand. I did something I can't take back. I made a bad decision, and then I made a worse decision. I was young, and I was scared, and I took a life. I took my own baby's life. What news do you have for me? I have good news. There's this king that touches lepers. There's this list. There's this list that everybody has. But sometimes I think we get the idea that some people don't have the list. That people that have been Christians for a long time don't have the list. That people that had Christian parents growing up don't have the list. That people that grew up in the church don't have the list. That elders don't have the list. That preachers don't have the list. There's this list. This is my list. Lying, being deceptive, cheating, stealing, pride, arrogance, laziness, being idle, greed, selfishness, carelessness, anger, hate, lust, viewing pornography, neglecting my wife, jealousy, lack of compassion, lack of love, busyness, Cursing, rebelling against what I knew Scripture taught, rebelling against worldly authorities, idolatry of all kinds, of money, of sports, of my physical body, of sex, of pleasures of the world, 
dishonoring parents, taking God's name in vain, cowardice, dishonoring my God, forgetting my God, hurting my God. That's my list. It's the list that makes me like the unclean leper. But there's good news. When I came to Jesus, He touched me. I've been touched with good news. And because of that, I'm clean. I'm clean. If you've come to Jesus, you're clean. Don't act like the list doesn't exist or that it never existed. And please don't act like the king that takes the list away doesn't exist. Stop looking for your good news in a diagnosis. Stop looking for your good news in an election. Stop looking for your good news at the 5 o'clock segment on your TV. We have good news. We've been touched by the king. We have a king that touches lepers like you and like me. Praise God. Thank you for connecting with us this morning. We're so thankful that you were able to do that. If you have questions, we'd love to have the opportunity to talk to you. You can contact us at www.thebibleway.com or questions at thebibleway.com. Questions at thebibleway.com. We'd love to have you in person. Come if you can, but thank you for connecting with us.